before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. to listen to a special preview edition of the Grant Williams podcast featuring my very special guest, Diana Choi Lever of Enodo Economics. Diana is a China expert, spends her life analyzing things in China, trying to understand better what they're looking to do and how they're going to interact with the world and is lately very much focused on US-China relations. So this was a conversation I've been looking forward to for quite some time. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including the Endgame, the super terrific happy hour, the narrative game, This Week in Doom, Shifts Happen, and Chaos Theory is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all the podcasts, while members of the silver tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Hmm. So, if you enjoy what you hear on the show and you would like more high-quality content just like it, please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And now... On with the show. Well, Diana, welcome back to the podcast. So good to see you again. Thanks for taking the time to join me on a Monday evening. Thank you very much. My pleasure as usual. Well, the last time you and I actually saw each other was at a fantastic dinner we were both at in London, which is, gosh, it must be three, four months ago now, I guess. Around about. Yeah, I would think so. And... My, oh my, the world has become more complex in those last three or four months, hasn't it? It has. I mean, I would say that really since the global financial crisis, it's just been an exponential growth of the complexity. And the problem with that is, for me anyway, personally, that uh, the way... I forecast the future is to always try and identify what is the key driving force in the world. And then once you figure that out, uh, then everything starts falling off that. But of course, (laughs) that task gets harder and harder because uh, there are so many variables in play at present. And then just keeps they they just keep growing, not least uh, the geopolitical events of the weekend. So, yes. It has become very complex and very difficult to pull it all together into a coherent picture. But um, nonetheless, um, that's what we are um, there to do. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. No, no matter how tough it might become. Well, listen, one of your most important focuses is, of course, China. And so uh, that's what I want to talk about today and, and kind of get a sense from you as to as, as much of what we can understand is going on in China. Because it's, you know, it's funny, it's been such an important thing for so many people to understand China for such a long time. And, I, you know, I get the sense that people have become a little bit inured to it because there's, there's always something happening in China. It's normally couched in the West as something bad happening in China. And, you know, I think after a while, people just have this tendency to to hear China mentioned and they've already kind of made their judgments about the bigger picture in China and, and they file every single piece of news into the particular framework that they have. So, so I want to get a perspective from you because I know it's, it, it's something you spend such a long time studying. So why don't we start domestically? And I want to come on to China's relationships, particularly with the US a little bit later on, but let, let's start 
by getting like an overall sense of what's happening domestically in China, the strength of the economy, where the red flags might be. Just, um, I'm going to throw you the ball and you just run as far with it and I'll hang on to, for dear life. <laughs> Well, yes, you better hang on tight because <laughs> if you give me uh, as much uh, freedom, then I, I won't stop talking. But no, uh, by by all means, uh, please feel free to interrupt me with, with questions. But uh, I mean, what I would say is that in my more than 20 years of covering China, this is really the first time I see it facing such huge challenges but also a combination of huge challenges. I, I'd say this is the sternest test, actually, China is facing for the whole period of its opening up and reform. And on the one hand, you could trace it back to Xi Jinping arriving at the helm of the Communist Party, and then, of course, Trump's trade wars. And now the most popular sort of comparison that we've seen of China is whether China is turning into the next Japan. I want to step back from the cyclical at the start of our conversation and look really at the long-term potential of China and uh, what forces are shaping that. You know, as, as an economist, uh, you are trained at university that the potential growth rate of an economy depends on the increase in its labor force, the increase in its uh, capital, and their combined total factor productivity. Now, if we look at China's demographics, they're clearly bad and difficult to change with any policies, especially in the context of China not being open to immigration. Though, I'll open a bracket here. It's worth looking at its Belt and Road Initiative, not just from the perspective of its uh, search for uh, key commodities, but also it has invested in the economies, which it hopes it will draw within its geopolitical sphere of influence and which will have some of the biggest populations globally by 2050. So there is a strategy there. And of course, we can discuss robotics in terms of uh, supplementing people. But on balance, the demographics are a huge drag on China's future growth potential. Then we look at capital. China has been over-investing since really 2004-2005. I was able to do that for so many years because first it was eating up global market share like crazy, and it had this continuous um, influx of export income. After the global financial crisis, that was not possible. So what happened then was that it kept throwing money at unproductive investment, but at the expense of debt rising up as a share of GDP. And now our estimates for the credit losses in China this year are a shocking number between 37 and 42% of GDP. I mean, that's one number, but it's one number that you're putting into this uh, picture. So highly likely for years to come, China will actually have to shrink its capital stock and there wouldn't be a positive contribution from the accumulation of capital, even if you start considering that they'll be investing in new areas in that time. So then really, it all rests on productivity growth. And 
if you look at um, the evidence over the history that we've been able to measure, really the most fundamental impact over the long term comes from productivity growth. So if China is able to boost productivity growth, then it will be able to grow positively. It's not going to be growing at even the the 4 or 5% that it has been growing at over the last few years, but it can grow at 1%, 2 maybe 3%, which for an economy the size of China will be sufficient. But the big question is, is how can China boost productivity growth? And I think, you know, I sympathize with your sentiment about generally people thinking, oh, we know about China. And um, a lot of the time in the West, likely forming those opinions, reading Western newspapers and analysis. And I mean, <laughs> I don't actually advise anyone to read the Chinese texts uh, in a sense. I mean, it's so difficult. It's like swallowing sawdust when you're trying to read through and, and figure out what, uh, you know, what they actually mean. But a big story on the productivity front is being missed out with respect to data. And of course, a lot has been written on how China sees the role of data. Whoever controls and has the most data, Beijing believes, will be the hegemon of the future. It's all about you know the quantity of data, the computing power with which you can crunch it, and then the hope that that will produce breakthroughs, innovations. I think that side has been written about and, and understood to an extent, uh, and certainly. Xi Jinping is putting huge weight on that. But I want to make another point, which is probably less understood, which um, I think is important to bring about. Because when she came to power in 2013, he made two statements. He said that uh, whoever controls the data will have the initiative. And then he said that... Um, they'll let the market or market forces play a bigger role in the allocation of capital. And so how could these two be squared away together? Because we've seen this, what appears to us uh, from the outside, a huge um, emphasis on party control, on state top-down directives, uh, subjugating the needs of the private sector to, to those of the party, et cetera, et cetera. And that, in most people's sort of assessment, has led to the expectation that sort of China is reversing to becoming the Soviet-style command economy. And because that failed, China will fail. And I think that's too early to conclude that, that China is doomed to fail. It's doomed to become an ex-Japan, let's say, in terms of disappearing into insignificance. Because what the Chinese, I think, actually mean when they talk about market forces in relation to creating this digital economy. I mean, over the last 10 years, they have put huge amounts of efforts into creating the digital yuan. And that is on the cusp of being rolled out across the country. At that point, the Communist Party will have full visibility at such a granular level of all financial flows. 
And then they have also been digitalizing their logistics trade. And as that process is also gaining traction, they will then have the visibility over the physical loss in the the full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, grant-williams.com. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.